Well, this morning I want to spend a little time on the subject of, of peace and stress. Peace and stress and how those two things, uh, they don't go together. But yet, uh, if you cover a topic of one, you should probably cover the topic of the other. Some of you have heard me tell this story. It's been quite a while ago, so I'm hoping I have some uh, that haven't heard it. But uh, a lawyer was duck hunting in Montana, and when he attempted to cross a fence into a field to retrieve a duck he had shot, a farmer suddenly pulled up in his pickup truck, jumped out, and asked what he was doing on his property. Retrieving this duck I just shot, he replied. That duck is on my side of the fence, so now it's mine, replied the farmer. The lawyer said, don't you know your, who you're talking to? And the farmer said, no, uh, I don't know, and I don't care. And then the lawyer said, I'm a famous lawyer, and if you don't let me get that duck, I'm sure uh, I will have your farm, your truck, and everything else you own. I'll leave you penniless on the street. Well, said the farmer, in Montana, the only law we go by is the three-kick law. Never heard of it, the lawyer said. The farmer said, well, I get to kick you three times, and if you make it back to your feet and are able to kick me back three times, that duck is yours. Well, the lawyer thought this over, and he grew up in a tough neighborhood and figured he could take this farmer. So fair enough, he said. So the farmer kicked him in the shin, and he was doubling over, and the farmer kicked him in the, in the face, and when he hit the ground, he kicked him hard in the ribs, and after several moments, he slowly made it back to his feet, and... Uh, the lawyer said, all right, it's my turn now. Oh, that's all right, the farmer said. You can have the duck. <laughs> we live in a world that seems like it's always at war with someone. When my boys were just six months old, I was really tied up in this uh, ultimate fighting championship. And every Thursday night, we had a, somebody giving us this 52-inch projection screen TV, and uh, we thought we were living up. We only had a 1,040-square-foot house that was falling apart, but we had a big TV. And so the, the fight nights were, were the thing, and I would hold both my twin boys in, in my lap. And, and Colton, you know, when, when Colton, there he is. That's Caleb. <laughs> Colton, when, when they'd run across the ring, you know, he'd just, his feet would just go. And to this day, if he's playing video games or anything interactive, he just he can't help but jump. We always have to tell him, sit down, Colton. You're about to go through the floor. But, but we tend to be very entertained these days by, by uh, fighting or uh, by conflict. In fact, the word war is regularly used in our society as people are intrigued with conflict and fights. I can remember when I was younger on the schoolyard. If you want to get a crowd together, just yell what? Fight cafeteria yell fight you're gonna have everybody within earshot gathered around to see the fight i remember i i uh crossed one of the bullies in my school in high school and he it was like you see on tv he he wanted to show down after school and i was sitting in every class watching the clock fearing for my life and uh i won't give you all the details of what happened i'll just say he ended up hurting himself and i didn't even have to finish fighting him, so it saved me um but but that was that was an uh, amazing thing that when I went out there, I thought it was just between me and him, and word had spread, and there was a crowd of witnesses around to see that fight. We learn early on that fighting is interesting and entertaining, and we love to see people duke it out. 
now things have changed, and when you see them duke it out on TV, it's much uh, worse and, and not necessarily wholesome to watch. Back in the old, you know, Western days, they could get hit all day long, keep their hat on, and not get a bit of dust on them, you know? <laughs> it was good, clean fighting, if you will. I mean, they would never even show that they'd been hit afterwards. But we love to see people duke it out. Most of my favorite movies are the fighting movies. War movies, others, I don't know why, but it's entertaining. Have you ever stopped to think about how radical the idea of peace is? I want you to stop for a moment and just think that if there was complete peace in the world, try to think of what that world would be like. Now some of you, because we want to be politically correct or we want to be the good guy, want to say, oh, that would be just wonderful. No, it wouldn't. I mean, it would, yes, in truth, but in our sinful nature, we would be bored to death. We would be bored to death. I'm not advocating for a lack of peace, but I'm saying that we can, we can pray for peace all we want. The truth of the matter is, somebody's going to get bored and stir something up because of our sinful nature. In our society, we have even moved beyond fictional fights. Our attention is all over anything that might have some kind of struggle. In fact, one of the most popular money-making YouTube videos out there now is when people catch street fights, especially where someone gets knocked out or gets seriously hurt, or worse, those will get the most views. We watch as the daytime talk shows parade people in front of us, and we secretly yearn for a violent confrontation. I'm glad Jerry Springer has, has finally gone from his days, you know? I mean, he's not gone. You didn't miss any news article. He's not dead, but I'm just saying his show is gone, the Jerry Springer show. It was the worst. I mean, if anything's bad, it was the worst. Even the late-night Nielsen ratings dubbed the comedy show as the, the war of late-night television when it comes to ones like some of these talk shows you see at late night where the whole, the whole premise is about making fun of conflict in the world. In recent years, a movie called Gladiator, a very uh, rough and gory depiction of our drive for conflict, the movie centered around the gladiators in Roman times who were forced to fight in an arena for the amusement of others. And after uh, they finish fighting against unrealistic odds, they give us the line in that movie that echoes through the whole, whole, whole core of the empty hearts in this world. Are you not entertained? Sometimes with a lifeless body on the ground, they would shout out, Are you not entertained? There is an interesting irony that exists between entertainment and reality. Most of us long for a day when all the world would be peaceful. We really do. But a day where we are not worried about rogue nations or building nuclear weapons or a day where our children are not asked to go to war or a day when we don't watch innocent people hurting, mistreated on the news. The world has gotten older, but humanity has not grown up. Technology has advanced, but we still have the same nature. And though we wait for a day of peace, Jesus said that that day will not come until the kingdom of God is completely here. See, those who are trying to fight for world peace, they're fighting against a, a God principle that's just, it's in the word and it's going to be. It's not coming until the kingdom of God comes. So fighting has been popular for a long time, and ever since it, uh, sin entered the world, there's been the potential for war. Cain killed Abel, his brother, 
at the very beginning of man. An example of, of fight and murder was recorded in the Bible in the very early stages of man. And much like that occasion when we fail to, to do right in God's eyes, we unleash a plethora of evil, evil possibilities. You know, Jim Blankenship, during this men's Bible study uh, that we've been doing once a month, uh, he has uh, taken us through the um, Sermon on the Mount. And I've mentioned this several times, but the interesting thing that he really drew out was that the Sermon on the Mount is about taking God's laws and help us understand that it's not about obeying rules, but the heart of the matter. In other words, like when, when Jesus said, you've heard that you shall not kill, but I'm telling you, don't even be one to be angry. The idea is that if your heart is not getting angry, then you're not going to get to the point of murderous thoughts, and you're not going to commit murder. Jesus was a peacemaker. He, he said, if someone hits you on your face, give them another chance to do it again. I posted a picture on Facebook of Ken Ferguson and I going to do a ministry uh, uh, retreat, and I caught a, a picture. It looked like he was just getting ready to slap me on the face. And everybody's like, well, you know what the Bible says, turn the other cheek, give him another shot. Jesus was a man who was powerful and expressed his his rage, but never once did it, we see it come out in the form of fighting. In fact, when they were in the garden and the men came to arrest Jesus, Peter drew a sword, cut off the ear of one of the guards, and Jesus put it back and expressed that to Peter that violent people die violent deaths. And the author of Romans clearly uh, knew clearly that Jesus was trying to get at get, get what he's getting at here because we find ourselves in chapter 12, verses 17 and 18 says do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone i'm telling you in in real time every day that's a hard uh, road to hoe you get in this traffic in northwest arkansas and someone cuts you off and you just had the best bible study and and time with Jesus that morning, plus a little bit of caffeine, you had some coffee, you know, your day's going great, that guy cuts you off, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, devil, let's go to work on him, you know? Let's, let's, go, let's go take care of that. Well, there's, there's some things about this that we need to understand about this idea of peace in our lives. The first thing, as far as it, we need to understand, it depends on us. Peace depends on us. Jeff Foxworthy tells a story about going home and finding a crayon writing on the wall, so he asks his two-year-old who did it. And she tells him that the dog did it. And Jeff Foxworthy says uh, that uh, we'll start, it starts to bother you as a parent because you've had a dog for 10 years and now he starts writing on the wall. <laughs> but that's who we are. As kids, we all learned the phrase early, I didn't do it. And some of us have never grown out of that. In fact, you know, my kids, just like me and other kids, many times, as soon as the act is done, before the parents even know, one kid screams and the other one says, I didn't do it, right? We've already learned to cast the blame elsewhere. But this text is not just about making a statement. It's asking a question. God is saying, I know you don't think it's your fault. I know you were not the one who pulled the trigger, but I have to ask you anyway. 
When are you going to start accepting responsibility for the condition of your surroundings? A woman burns her thighs on a hot on hot coffee. She is holding her lap when while driving. She blames the restaurant, right? Your neighbor crashes into a tree while driving home drunk. You blame the bartender. Your grandchildren are without manners. You blame the television. Listen, I go to a lot, I go to court with some guys, and and one of the common things I'll hear before before God really starts interjecting some spiritual maturity in them is is um, you know, well, I wouldn't be in trouble if it hadn't been for so-and-so. Or I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this. Or I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. But, but it never really shifts towards, I wouldn't be here if I had been making right decisions in my life before I met that person. Or if I had been making right decisions in my life if I'd known God, if I'd, if I'd given my heart to God before I ever even got around that place. But it's usually the place, the person, something else, the judge, the, the, the police, whoever. It's someone else. But we're never, ever there because of us, are we? The process of living at peace demands that you take responsibility. There's times I've learned in a tender moment with God that taking responsibility for something, even if there's a question or a doubt of whether it's truly my fault or not, but taking the responsibility for the sake of peace. Not to be dishonest, not to, not to just save somebody from, from embarrassment or anything, but, but truly just say, you know what? I'd rather have peace than be right. I'd rather have peace than, than get off the hook here. I'd rather have peace. You know, um, I've talked to sometimes when, when people get in trouble with someone else and they go before the judge, it, the judge will actually sometimes order that both pay the full amount of restitution owed to whoever the wrongdoing was done to, from both of them. <laughs> Although in the end, it only has to be paid once. Now, why would he do that? Well, because there's a high probability something could happen to one and the victim's still left with only half of, of being repaid, a half of what that's owed. So even though there, there's equal bad actors in this situation, sometimes they're both given the full penalty so that when it's met, then they're both off the hook then. But, but the idea here is that sometimes the fact that we were connected with, with sin or that we were connected with someone who is involved in sin, we need to realize that peace comes when we take responsibility for even our whereabouts. Well, if I'd been listening to God, I wouldn't even been there. Well, if I was reading my word, I'd understand that the decisions I'm making are taking me in the wrong places or or around the wrong people. The Bible calls it the peace of God, and it goes beyond what we understand. In order to completely grasp this kind of peace, we have to bear, uh, we have to hear God and act on His questions. Are you denying responsibility for your life? Is what God will ask us. God says, "I know you had it tough when you got sick, or when your your marriage got rocky, but you can't deny responsibility." We can't play the game, blame game with God and get anywhere. He's not looking to crush you. He's looking for your honesty and relationship with him. And many people think, okay, well, God, I'm not really, you know, this is why this is or this is why this is, and they don't take responsibility. God can't truly work in your life when you're doing that. True surrender with God just says, you know what? I take full responsibility for the fact I'm in this mess. Whether I did it all or someone else caused it or whatever it is, but I take responsibility. And God, I just need you to lead and guide me. 
I'm not even asking to, to get out of trouble here. I'm just asking for your mercy that our relationship can grow stronger. How are you gonna, going to get honest with God and give him your burdens when you won't even get real about what those burdens are? You need to accept the responsibility in your life and your choices. It's impossible to give your life to Jesus if you never owned your choices and owned up to your life. So the author's asking, have you accepted responsibility? But he's also asking, do you believe peace depends on you? You know, we pray for peace. God send peace, but peace depends on us. Because that whole thing I talked about, the Sermon on the Mount, don't be the kind of person who gets angry. Don't be the kind of person who lusts in their heart. Don't be the kind of person you go on and on and on. It requires action on our part. Can we clean ourselves up without the help of the power of God? No. Can we, can we just obey uh, God's laws perfectly on our own? No, we have to have God's help. But what we have to understand is that the peace depends on us. I know we've not signed some big peace treaty when we become a Christian. I know that some people will still want to war with us and we'll still war with ourselves about wanting to retaliate. There may be an extent to which you can do nothing to live peace, peacefully with someone, but you need to exhaust every opportunity to defuse the situation. The truth is, in general, the followers of Jesus don't have a strong reputation for being the most peaceful people in the world. When we go back to our recent history, we want to say, oh yeah, we're peaceful people. Christians are peaceful, but, but there's been a, a, a past with Christians that's not so peaceful which is incredibly ironic because Jesus was the best of all peacemakers, yet following his peaceful example is probably one of the most difficult aspects of the believer's life. You know, you put a bunch of Christians in a situation where our, world, our, our nation quickly shifts and they are coming to your doorstep to tell you they're taking away some of your rights. I'm going to take your guns, I'm going to take whatever. And as Christians, we tend to think, well, you just try to come in and get them then, see what happens to you. And we want to put ourselves right in the spot of Peter, slicing off the ear of the guard, instead of following Jesus, who is the one that put the ear on and said, you do that, and your end is going to be the same as theirs. We must learn to treat people properly. Throughout the ages, self-professed Christians had committed horrific acts of violence and carried out wars in the name of the peacemaker. I see a shift even, I'm only 42 years old, and from the time that I first uh, believed in Christ at a young age, I see a shift in Christianity where we're almost okay with, or we reason out, that we can have violent thoughts or, or a, fight, a, a fighting attitude towards the way the world is shifting. We can't say we're following Jesus and do that, because that's not who Jesus is. He didn't come to start a, a, a fist fight. We, today we aren't burning down Muslim homes, or, uh, but our cynicism and bitterness show up. And uh, you know, maybe at the restaurant, in line at the store, on the job. It's in the re resentment of overtime. It's in uh, with the waitress who doesn't jump at the drink order we have, or is found is found in our church attendance when the minister says something that hurts or does something we don't like. But living at peace means putting aside all of those things which keep us from bringing people into the presence of Christ. Listen, there's some reason that churches in the U.S. are closing week by week. 
There's some reason that there's a mass exodus of ministers from the ministry now in the United States. And that denominations of every kind are doing everything they can to try to bring in new ministers and to, and to, and to really seek out those and find out who's got a call in life and try to push them through because Bible college uh, enrollment has been dwindling. Churches have been closing. Now the church worldwide is doing really well, I'm glad to say. In fact, growing leaps and bounds. But I have to ask myself, why is that? Why are we in, in a place now where in, in the place that's supposed to be the land of the free, the home of the brave, in God we trust, yet the church is struggling the worst here? There may be times when someone will not live at peace with you, but the, the command says, as long as it depends on you, how often of your fight, how often your fights depend on you too. More often than I'm willing to admit. Second thing about this peace with God, we have to have peace with God. Earlier I mentioned that we have to take responsibility for our life if we're going to turn our lives over to God. The truth is peace comes from God. I can't have peace with God until I have claimed responsibility for my will. But after we claim responsibility, we have to surrender our lives to Jesus. Before you can have real peace with others, you have to find peace with God. He's the author of peace, so we have to go to God for peace. So you have to surrender your life to him to be able to have peace in your life. This isn't something that you can go sign up to do a, a marathon or a walk in the name of peace and that you've done your part and you brought peace to this world. No, God, the author of peace, it starts with full relationship, full surrender to him. There's a lot made about people finding God and making peace with God, but I can tell you it's not something that you get to do at the end of your life. It's something you need to do to start your life in Jesus. The Bible says that, the, that at one time we were all strangers, aliens, and enemies of God. And Maybe you never pictured your life that way. Maybe you might say that I was a stranger, but I was not an enemy. And I don't know, but... Um, you know, I don't know that I've ever, you know, fully since I believe in God, rejected him in any uh, outright way in my life. But when we go down the path of, of being um, uh, fighters in our spirit to, to seekers of, of war and not peace in our lives, when we go that direction, we are setting ourselves up to be enemies of God because that is what he's combating in this world, in the spiritual realm, is the fact that the devil has come to destroy peace. You know what the definition of enemy is? It's simply this. Someone who is not on your side. Someone who is not on your side. And under that criteria, the Bible has us all pegged. It says at one time we all lived like that. That we were all enemies of God. Every single one of us in this room at one time was an enemy of God. Colossians 1.21 Once you're alienated from God, and we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So it wasn't just our indifference that made us enemies of God. It was sin. And that's what sin does. It separates us from the one who wants, us, wants to know us. It will devour us if it's given the chance. If you begin to feel separation between you and a brother, sister in Christ, then you can pinpoint and know 100% that you have allowed sin to start to creep in. 100% every time. Guaranteed. I can guarantee you it. I put my, I, I, you know, the word of God says it. 
But if you start to feel any dissension or, or separation or aggravation towards someone in the body of Christ, a believer, another believer, then you're allowing sin to come in and you are starting on a path of being an enemy of God. And that's tough to think, huh? Because where that leads, if you let it go and you let it fester is, you end up separating from the body of Christ. And I guarantee you, I've not seen one person who is separated from the body of Christ and and you go and, and see their life just shortly after, and eventually they're separating themselves from God and godly, and godly living. It's a path of destruction. We have to be on the watch. A man purchased a white mouse to use as food for his pet snake, and he dropped it, the unsuspecting mouse into the, the, snake, uh, the glass snake cage and... and so the mouse, panicking and trying to figure out a plan, sees the snake, and the snake's trying to be still. And so the mouse goes and covers up the snake with the, with the wood chips, thinking, okay, now I've taken care of the problem. Well, he didn't take care of the problem. He just, he just covered it up. But then the, the owner of the snake, having mercy on the mouse and seeing his efforts, pulls him out. And that was his rescue. But that mouse had no chance without the help of the one who had control over the snake. And we ourselves fool ourselves when we think that we can cover up things in our life, dangers. When we see Satan at work and we think we can just cover up. We can come to church, we can smile and say, oh yeah, hi, brother, sister, how are you? And all the way to church, we were just chewing, chewing their name apart, you know, on the way home or when we get home. We're fooling ourselves. We think we can cover it up. The snake is going to bite. And the bite comes because after that, the snake is going to devour. Snakes never, never bite prey just to be biting it. They bite it to eat it. Satan never just bites at you just to throw a little pain there. There's a plan. There's a strategy. And many people will look at sin or look at times when they trip up and just say, Whew, okay, well, you know, we all sin and I... You know, you know, thanks God, thank God for his grace, and I'm glad that's over. And we just kind of downplay it instead of looking at it like, oh, no, snake. You know, I'm about to be eaten. We've got to have that kind of mentality about it. No matter how hard we try to cover up or deny our sinful nature, it does not change who we are. Sin will eventually awake from its sleep and shake off its cover. And if it were not for the saving grace of Jesus, sin would eat us alive. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you, were used to in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Third thing about this, of personal peace. Um, I'm always intrigued by the process of personal peace because first we have to own our responsibility of what we've done, then give it to God. Yet at the same time, it is only in God that we find our true identity, and only in Christ do we find complete peace that is from God. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. During our worship time, I was continuing that uh, thought I had about when I was a child and I accepted the Lord. And I'm afraid there's a tenderness and a sweetness about our relationship with the Lord that, that is fading from the churches and from believers. Our lives are a little bit more harsh now. And I don't really know how to put a finger on it, but I have a feeling it's because of all the fear and the things we see in the media continually. I was having a conversation with one of the men in the jail the other day. Had 12 men. Thank you for your prayers last Sunday, by the way. Had 12 men this time. Uh, in a room and it was a great conversation again um, word spread about how the lord showed up the time before and more men came but one of them said you know i just i struggle with with my thoughts and i, I don't know how to get a hold of them but i just have these really horrible thoughts sometimes we talked about what the word says about arresting stray thoughts but but i told him i said you know i have to fill my life every day every moment with the things of god otherwise once left idle my sinful nature wants to take over. Whether it's worship music, the word, talking to a brother or sister in Christ about the Lord, but I have to fill that time. But I believe that we're losing a sweetness. I'm a fear that we're losing a sweetness in our relationship with the Lord. And what I mean by that is it's truly that peaceful, peaceful uh, demeanor that only God can bring. Christians are seeming a little more um, on edge. We're a little more quick to throw our opinion out over something we disagree with and instead of waiting and letting the Holy Spirit guide our thoughts and our, our words. It's only when we've learned to rejoice in God's presence that we arrive in a place where we experience the peace of God. It's a peace that passes understanding and gives us identity. That means you will have peace in your life. You won't even understand how it got there, even though you know it comes from God. And you won't understand how it works so well. When it comes from God, it's there and it begins to do a work and it even passes your understanding. It's a peace that focuses and hones our understanding and, and re-centers our lives around Jesus. Personal peace comes from owning responsibility, owning responsibility for our actions and getting right with Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if there is stress in your life or or if your life is so hectic, but I know that if you are struggling with bitterness or envy or anything that is robbing you from peace, I can make this promise right now. God knows. And he's not just having fun getting ready to watch the snake feed if you need peace that is permanent. He's waiting to take you up and to bring peace into your life and coming to Christ doesn't mean that your financial problems will go away. It doesn't mean that every tough situation goes away. You can have peace that, that, that only God can bring and found by experiencing God in your life. And there's some indicator, some things that stress will come and try to come in anyway. I want to quickly, in, in closing this, I want to talk to you about the stress. And I want to just give you a little bit of test here to see if you've got the stress that robs you of peace in your life right now. Here's... Um, and, and part of this, I'm going to be pulling some scripture from Philippians 4, 4 through 8 on this. But um, one thing, if you've got stress in your life that's robbing you peace, you, 
uh, plan your day unrealistically. You plan your day that no person should be trying to attempt to accomplish what you're planning. That leaves you, leaves you uh, for sure unsuccessful in completing that day. Secondly, about anything you do, you're first to arrive, last to leave. Third thing, always in a hurry. Fourth, makes no plan for relaxation. Number five, feels guilty about doing anything other than work. Number six, sees unforeseen problems as a setback or a disaster. Sees unforeseen problems as a setback or a disaster. Number seven, is always thinking about several other things when working. Number eight, feels a need to be recognized and overextends because of this. Well, what do we do? If, that, if you're going down the checklist, you're like, oops, that's all of them for me. Or most of them. Well, number one, recognize aggravating aspects of your job and accept them rather than fight them. You're not going to find the perfect job. You know, since Adam and Eve, we work by the sweat of our brow. Work is going to be painful sometimes. But you have to learn to accept them rather than fight them. Two, identify your emotional needs and find ways to meet them. Identify your emotional needs and find, way, find ways to meet them. You know, don't tell everybody you're good and I don't, need, uh, I don't need anything. We just talked about this in the community series. You know, that's baloney. If you know that you're lonely, you're tired, and you're emotional, then God's put people around you for that time. Practice listening. It's more relaxing than talking. That one hit me pretty hard because I think about it. I, because of my occupation and others I've had, I always feel like, as soon as someone says something, I've got to have the answer or the reply. And sometimes I don't. I'm just scrambling, trying to find one to please that person. But number four, be sensitive to change. Sense it's coming and make adjustments. And this makes change manageable rather than insurmountable. Here's another thing about daily joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, gladden yourselves in him. Again, I say rejoice. It takes a willful decision to sing and make a melody in our hearts to be happy in the Lord. We've talked before about we have power in our words. And if you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, this day is going to be terrible. What are you already speaking over your day? I'm not saying that, uh, you know, when I say that we have power over words, that because we spoke that now our day is going to be horrible. I'm saying what we've done is we've, we've already got our mind set on it being horrible. We've already told the Lord, I don't have room for you to make my day wonderful because I've already declared it's going to be terrible. This isn't self-help. It's looking at God's word and saying he desires for us to have the joy of the Lord as our strength. So if we get in the morning needing strength and we declare this Lord day is going to be terrible, we're just throwing back in that scripture in God's face saying, no, thank you. I'm good. Whether you're feeling depressed, anxious, or bothered by some annoyance, you can exercise your ability to rejoice. Encourage yourself in the Lord by recounting all the good things you have been given through Christ. His strength, his wisdom, his identity, his love, his purposes, his power, his truth, his ability to overcome temptations, his perspectives, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his self-control, and his plans for your life. 
One thing I've been talking to the men at, at the county is we need to dream again. Scripture is, is, is full of, of the character and nature of God. He brought dreams to men. He brought dreams of the future. Of, of Sometimes he was giving prophecy and it was warning about danger, but there's many times God was giving them a dream about the promised land or the coming kingdom of heaven. But we need to dream again. When our rights are yielded totally to the Lord, we are not apt to become irritated when things don't go our way. When we become an example to others in our teaching, our conduct, our purpose, our faith, our patience, love, steadfastness, persecution, sufferings, and how the Lord delivers us from every problem, we can communicate in a verbal and nonverbal ways that our God is greater than any problem. How quickly, let me ask you this, how quickly if somebody comes to you, especially a non-believer, and says, that they had a hard day, are you quick to tell them how hard your day was? Or to try to compare notes on how bad your day was? Well, that's an indicator there that you're focused on, on, on things that are negative and not God's word because God's word would be telling you to encourage that person, that there's hope, that there is a God who loves them, there is a God who, who brings deliverance from their situation. My Uncle Herschel that's gone on to be with the Lord, one of his uh, legacies he left was everywhere he went, grocery store, wherever, he would tell people, has anybody told you today that God loves you? Now, if you start conversations off that way, you're already setting people's minds on the hope that God can bring, the peace that he can bring to their life. We need to learn to follow, uh, follow our faith and the truth in the words of God. And the famous hymn writer who's saying, simply trusting every day, trusting in the homeward way, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him, whatever befalls, trusting Jesus, that is all. Isaiah 26, 3 says, he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in him. Fourth thing about this in daily prayer, in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Prayer in the morning programs our thinking, our attitudes, our spirit, and our actions. This morning when I got up, uh, I'll just say that I had a fairly late night last night, and you know the alarm goes off, and I'm like, Lord, I could push it a little bit more. And, you know, I fought that, and I turned on the worship music, and boom, my spirit was lifted, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go worship the Lord. The worship uh, team began to practice this morning, and they played one of my favorite songs, and I sat up here and just began to weep and lift my hands for the Lord. If your mind is starting off in the morning set on the things of the Lord and praising Him and praising Him for the things He's done in your life, it will leave no room for you to focus on the things that the devil is trying to do to take that away. Daily reflection, and God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Fifth thing, daily, in, uh, daily inventory of God's things. One thing I can't not get over if I am in a bad mood and I'm trying to get out of it, if I will begin to just start listing the blessings God has given me. And if I need to start even with my wife and my children, I don't even have to go beyond that. God cures my ailment immediately as soon as i realize 
the, the wonderful blessings God's given me within my own home. We need to take daily inventory, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and, se- and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable. The seventh thing, daily meditation. Fix your mind on these things. Take time to memorize, study, read, discuss, and pray through the promise of God. The reason Bible quiz is so effective for our kids is because they're hiding God's word in their heart that they might not sin against him. They're memorizing scripture. They may not always know how to apply it immediately, but they've hidden the word in their heart. And it comes back. I was at a minister's meeting recently, and they're talking about starting the senior Bible quiz or the teen Bible quiz, and that they kicked that up, and that used to go on, and it's a lot more intense. And I raised my hand and said, we need adult Bible quiz. I did, and they all kind of looked at me like I was making a joke. I said, no, I'm as serious as can be. Why, why do we put so much focus on our kids memorizing God's word, our teens memorizing God's word, and then us coming sit on a pew and then just being glad that our kids and our teens are learning God's word? Why are we not memorizing it? Why are we not doing it in a way where we're holding each other accountable that we're memorizing it? Because I can preach all day long until you go home and study God's word, and you could just not do it. But if you have to show up and know that somebody's going to be testing you on God's word, then you will memorize it, won't you? I'm in favor of us taking things up a notch because we see the world going many notches the other direction. And then daily applications. Practice what you have learned and, re- and, and received and heard and seen in me and model your way of living it and the God of peace will be with you. My prayer with my family this morning because of the way the week went, we we're so exhausted that most of us were in tears half a dozen times this week, weren't we? <laughs> we our whole family, we've all been crybabies this week. We've just been tired and emotionally spent. And so this morning, before we got down the driveway, we took turns. I said, we're going to pray. And I talked about all the things that happened this week. I said, we're going to just pray that God has control of our minds and that when we come in here, we're blessing others and not focused on ourselves. I said, because if we let it to, to chance or to our sinful nature, we'll come in, and if everybody's in a good mood, they'll be in a bad mood by the time they leave, just because of us. So taking the time that what you're learning from God's word and applying it, pray over it together, meditate on it, make everything about that day about the things of the Lord, and you'll begin to see spiritual growth in your life, and you'll see peace come in that passes all understanding. And while the wars are going on around you in this world, while you're watching the news and seeing ISIS and all these things, instead of your heart sinking, it may sink for compassion for those, it may sink because you want to see the Lord come back, but it will not rob your joy and your peace. Because no one can snatch from you those things which God has planned in you and you will to keep. One of the things that I want to spend time on in the near future again is circle back around the book of Acts and talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is, is because one thing I've known that has really (laughs) has saved us in times of real distress is one of the the aspects of, of speaking in other tongues is that Satan can't understand what's being said. Satan, uh, Satan does not understand what's being said. It's an uninterrupted prayer. How many of you ever prayed before and you're praying and all of a sudden you're thinking about those donuts out on the counter? Whether there'll be any left by the time you get out this door if the preacher would just shut up so you can get to the donuts. Or you're at home and you're, just, you're trying to pray and spend time with the Lord and your mind just keeps wandering. Satan is the disruptor. 
We need to understand that God has gifts for us. He wants to bring peace in our life. And he has already laid out in his word how we are to go about conquering and overcoming the attempts of the enemy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day focused on peace. Lord, I pray before we go out this door and we leave this place, that, Lord, today we will set our minds on your word, on your promises, on your blessings. Lord, let the peace that passes all understanding come into our lives. Lord, if, if we are stressed and, Lord, we are uh, thinking down that list we read this morning and we're thinking, this is me, I am stressed, I is robbing me of joy, is robbing me of peace. God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now against the attempts of the enemy to try to rob the peace from these people. God, let them immediately begin to see the effects of it as they go out, if they go to a restaurant, Lord, in the way they interact with the waitress, with, with people there, Lord, with their family on the way home, with their boss tomorrow, with their coworkers, with their relatives, with the family, even those who seem set on not being peaceful, God. Let them see your peace radiating out from our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Before, before we go, if there's someone here that you say, I, I want the peace, but I don't, haven't even began a relationship with the Lord, or, or I've, I've done just what you said. I set my mind on other things, and I've ventured so far, I don't feel his presence any longer in my life, and I want to have him back. I want to be in right relationship with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. You can put your hand down. Folks, there is no greater thing than a life that is saved from, from sin, a life that is, that is brought into right relationship with God. That person who makes that decision, we will spend all eternity at that banquet table celebrating with them in heaven. Let's just pray for this one today. Lord, I just pray right now that as this decision is, is being made, that God, right now, they begin to, to speak to you and, Lord, ask you to forgive them for, for the sin that has separated them from you. God, and that, that they ask you to lead and guide them, to be with them all the days of their life, to, to bring peace into their life, to help them in, in ushering that peace in. And we thank you for it. As now a name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and the angels of heaven are celebrating. Let's just give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand this morning, make sure you uh, talk to me after the service. I want to make sure to make contact with you. Love y'all and have a blessed Sunday. We'll see you see Wednesday night.